Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my honor to have Bob Wheeler with me, and Bob is incredible and a delight. I know that because I met him at FinCon, which is a gathering of incredible money nerds, and then he was gracious enough to have me on his podcast where we had a a blast. I was like, Bob, you got to come on my podcast. Just before we started, he said, money and emotions. I can't believe people still don't understand money and emotions, so... Uh, Bob and I are going to unpack that, but Bob, can you tell the listeners a little bit about the breadth of who you are and the things that you do professionally? Because it's like, wow. I'm a little crazy. Um, (laughs) I have a full tax practice with about a thousand clients, about 12 employees. I'm CFO at the Comedy Store, which I've been helping run for 25 years plus. And uh, I also have The Money Nerve, which we do podcasts, we do workshops. Uh, I've written a couple of books. I just published a children's book on financial literacy. And really, it's just anywhere I can go and talk about money and emotions and get people to just have some awareness about their money and emotions to get more intentional. That's incredible. So full tax practice, the comedy store, uh, The Money Nerve, and a children's book recently. So what's the title of the children's book? Let's just start there. Uh, children's book is Darius Wants a Dog. And, uh, you know, kids want dogs. And uh, there's <laughs> yeah, responsibility. <laughs> and it costs money. <laughs> and you have to clean up after them. And so um, I won't give away the ending, but uh, Darius goes through the whole experience with his aunt's dog and um, gets to learn about responsibility and has to pay for his, you know, treats and stuff. And... At the end, he you know decides what's best for him. The cool thing is at the end of the book, there's questions for parents, teachers, and folks to actually have conversations with kids about, do you have a pet? What does it cost? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Are you allowed to change your mind? So just some foundational mm. stuff to really get kids to start thinking about the impact of their choices. I love that. And I think that that's kind of the, the sticking point for why we end up with such problematic relationships with money in adulthood, right? Is yeah, we don't have modeled for us healthy relationships around money and emotions and meaning. And you brought up the big R word, and no, not racism, but responsibility. <laughs> and responsibility is such a central theme around money. So can you unpack what does it mean to you to be responsible with money at this point in your life? And how has that maybe changed over time? Yeah. So responsible doesn't mean I don't get to have any fun. It doesn't mean I have to just like hold on tight to everything. Right. It means to act in a way that's actually going to serve me in the long run. For me, when I'm spending my money, I want it to be in alignment with my long-term goals. So if I'm saving for retirement, if I'm putting away money for a house, saving for college, whatever those things might be, um, I want to do responsible things in the moment, in the present, that are going to Im- impact my long-term desires, wants, and goals. Sure. And so it it may mean that sometimes I take a break and take a vacation because I need it. That's the responsible thing to do. It is the responsible thing to do. And sometimes the responsible thing is to say no or to say yes. It's, it's not always, always say yes to everything. Sometimes your yes is a no. <laughs> and so, <laughs> right, it's uh-huh. like checking in and seeing how is this going to serve me? Is this the responsible choice versus I'm doing this on a whim? I'm going to cross my fingers and hope it works out. I want to be really intentional and conscious in how I handle my finances so that I don't find myself in a, in a bad situation or that if I do find myself in a bad situation, I've got tools, resources, assets to actually get me through it. You know, I think this is also so relevant in the responsible thing. I've got three young boys, 12, six and a half, and five. And 
I think you said something about in this book, even the the kids book about like changing your mind. Yes. Right. And like yeah. that, that came up in our house this week actually is my son and I have been talking about going on a ski trip and whether we go drive up for the day or we go and stay overnight and, you know, kind of playing with that. And I, you, know, I've leaned back and forth as I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And, and then my younger kids had a chance to go to monster jam. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I want to do that too. And so like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let's do that. So then I was revisiting the conversation with my son and he wasn't aware of that, that I made that. I mean, he knew I made the commitment, but what he wasn't thinking about is the financials. And so then he was like, well, dad, are we going to go stay overnight? I've, I've kind of rethought it myself because I thought this, this, and this. So like, I was like, oh, well, I didn't, you didn't even tell me that you were worried about finishing school and that's why you didn't want to go early. So like all these little pieces are floating around in the family, right? Right. And we're trying to be responsible. And so then we're having this conversation in the kitchen the other night and I just had to tell him, and of course, then my wife is standing there, which adds pressure because she's like, (laughs) oh yeah, how much money is he going to spend on the kids now? Right. Just hold my breath and I just take a deep breath. And I, instead of saying, well, you, well, I got to check with your mom. I just said, I need to check with our budget and our allocation for entertainment and spending because I've now also allocated money to go do entertainment with your brothers, which means I have less total money this month for, we can still do the scheme. So it's just, I share that story to, to say like this stuff gets nuanced pretty quick and each person has their own mind about what's happening all simultaneously. So no wonder we get sideways. No, absolutely. And that's, it's so wonderful that you're able to right, not make him feel guilty or say, oh, we just can't do it. Or we're just adding in all the factors, adding all the pieces of the puzzle to actually figure out how we're going to, what path we're going to go down. Yeah. So thinking about puzzles, I think that taxes leave people puzzled just about more than any financial topic. I don't know if you see it that way or not. (laughs) I know that people struggle with taxes. A lot of my clients are in the entertainment world, so they'll tend to check out quickly. (laughs) But Uh they're like, you have five minutes, Bob. You have 10 minutes. Um, Taxes can be, they're funny. You know, it's self-employment tax. If I have $100,000, 1099, that's different than a W-2 with $100,000. Why do I owe more money? I think a lot of people uh-huh. just don't want to have to deal with it. Just fix it, make it go away. Um, it's an important piece, though. Yeah. It's so important. If you're planning for your future, I'm working with couples and trying to figure out long-term needs. Well, 35% of that might be going to tax in their older years. We can't assume the cash is sitting in the bank. It's got to be right. factored in. So there's all these technical details and rules that for most everyday folks are kind of opaque. Yeah. Right. They don't, you've learned and studied all the different rules of tax and how it's supposed to work, but the general, I mean, that's what makes you a great accountant. Yeah. And you know, people fortunately, uh, trust me and I take that very seriously. And so I do make sure I'm knowing what's the current laws, what's changed. How can we do this? We we're very much about tax strategy in my firm. Yeah. So we're really busy in November and December because we have a lot of businesses and we're, we're on everybody think about this, think about this, think about this. So, and I'm curious because you've, I think also shared that you've done a lot of your own somatic work, your own somatic therapy. And so like, how does that blend into tax work? What's happening in your body and what's going on with being able to approach taxes? Cause you're just saying like, Oh, I have a lot of people that would just say, you got five minutes, Bob. And then they check out. Right. So what's happening in their body that's telling them they need to check out instead of stay engaged and listen. Well, you know, I think, what happens is, like I know for myself, when I was first a CPA, I was broke. Uh, I was not walking the talk. I was just presenting well. And I could feel in my body as I'm telling other people what to do, telling myself, you don't do any of that. Um, and so I had to get really <laughs> uh-huh. serious so I could be in integrity with what I was saying because I was giving great information. I just wasn't following it. And right. I think for a lot of people, it brings up trauma. I've had people tell me their parents shamed them about their lack of math skills or you'll never amount to anything. And so when we start talking tax, we're going to start looking at personal things. We're looking at spending. Oh my God, Bob's going to see that. Um, Uh, Bob's going to know the truth. I'm going to be exposed. They say your tax guy and your garbage man know the most about you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I see the secrets. I see the secrets. Well, the the numbers 
I mean, if you're able to get people to share the numbers with you, which is probably even part of that hurdle, right? Is yeah. just getting people to feel safe enough to share the information with you so that you can actually do your job well. I mean, I imagine you, you evoke deep trust with so many of your clients, but I'm sure you've had that handful of clients where they've come back and said, actually, Bob, I didn't give you this information. Yeah. I've had people update the information. I think because I'm willing to say, look, I've made mistakes. I've done all the things you're doing. Uh, I just got I just got better informed and did some educating for myself and did some deep dives on my own personal mindset and psyche. And so I, I'm here to help you only because I've been there. So I can be more empathetic versus, yeah, I did everything right. You're so stupid. How could you do this? And I think people really sense that I'm trying to create a safe space for them. Yeah. And that I really want to partner with them. I love that. That That's, I mean, just so encouraging. And I think it speaks to that. You didn't to stay in the shadows of your inconsistency between I'm telling everybody to do this and I'm not doing it myself. So what was that journey like? I mean, that moment of awareness, I'm sure didn't just magically get you from incongruency to congruency. So what was that journey like for you? Well, you know, I, it's interesting when I was probably in my early twenties, I was working with this body healer who said, you've had a lot of trauma. And you're not even aware of it. And I thought, oh, my God, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Quack jobs. What an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, ooh, candles and incense. He has no idea. Uh, and uh, I uh, was trying all these different things, trying to learn how to get out of my box. Yeah. I was really comfortable sitting across from somebody at my desk, but out in public. I was terrified. And I just had all this fear. And so I just started doing personal work. And it was not fun. And I tapped into my trauma. And I was completely blindsided by these altered states that I went into. And I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from. So yeah. I started doing the work. It was not fun, but I knew it was necessary. And so as I started just looking at my old stories about money, my parents, their beliefs, the stuff they passed down to me and, and where I would self-sabotage financially because I didn't want to have to give them my money because I was told early on, you need to be successful and give us all the money so we can have great lives. And I thought, why do I have to do this? <laughs> like, I don't want this. This was your parents telling you this? Yeah, my mom said, you have to take care of me and all your siblings in the lifestyle we deserve to live. And I thought, yeah, do it yourself. <laughs> so Good. I just started yeah. spending all my money. Because then you didn't have any to give mom. Then I, I don't have any money. Not lying. Um, but right. yeah, I'm telling the truth. Right. And then I didn't want to be successful because I knew she wanted to be able to take credit for it. And I thought, oh, you don't get any credit. <laughs> like you did. And again, not blaming now. I've no, done a lot yeah. of work. And yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Love my parents. Um, but at that time, I was like, you know, you don't get any credit. If I do the work, you don't get the credit. So let me just sabotage everything I do so you don't get to take credit. Not a great healthy mindset. <laughs> no, but I'm so appreciative of your willingness to share that because those are the private thoughts that we don't go around telling people on Facebook or in social meetings or in casual acquaintances. But it's it's so much more prevalent than I think most of us realize, right? And just even that journey of becoming conscious that you have those thought patterns is Ugh. so disruptive and yet in the long run helpful. It is. And I will say, and I, and I talk about this, and I know this sometimes is not a comfortable topic for people, but there were two or three times where I said, you know what? I probably need to go. Like, I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be here. Oh, and yeah. my thoughts got really dark. And uh -huh. I was like, you know what? It's just better for me to go because I just don't want to keep living through this. And fortunately, I was you know, whatever reason, I didn't go in that direction, but I certainly sure. entertained it. So it got to the point of suicidal ideation. I'll name it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, more than the passing thought of like, because, I, you know, I think one of the things that struck me is as a former firefighter, I had no idea how frequently I'd be called to an attempted suicide or completed yeah. one, right? Like that was, but that was part of the job. And then when I started studying counseling and psychology and the, one of the professors said, well, it's actually normal for people to have a passing thought here or there about taking their own life when things get tough. That's not to be concerned about. But what is to be concerned about when you start ruminating and thinking and making plans and starting to take it more serious and you're really getting dark, deeper and darker into that place. 
Yeah. But that really is a, a signal, right? That there's something deeper that needs to be cared for or seen. Is that, is that kind of how you see it now? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in that moment, sometimes it feels like it's the best choice. I've been fortunate. I have made sure I have a lot of supportive people around me. Yeah. And yeah. They, that hold me accountable. And I have intentionally done that um, so that I've got people checking in. And, and certainly I'm in a much better place. Right. But we do have to be aware of those and don't, and don't just brush them off. There's something going on. There's a reason why you're having those thoughts and considerations. They're not random. They're symptomatic of much larger issues at play. And here's the thing, even as bad as it gets, if you reach out for help, if you find support and work through it, on the other side, it really is a whole lot better. It's really painful going through it. I did not enjoy it. You know, it's not fun being transformative, but <laughs> I got to tell you, I can look back and say, thank God, thank God. You know, it, it's funny as so you and I are both on that journey, have been on that journey. And I don't know, in some ways I feel like my business is trying to sell transformation. And it's like, I feel like in the personal development world, we, it gets glossed up a whole bunch. Yeah. But like the reality of like transformational work is dirty, stinky, painful, full of tears, full of rage and yeah. anger and fear. Mm -hmm. Like you're basically coming in contact with all the parts that you've cut off, cut off so you yeah. could survive. Yeah. And then realizing like, oh, for me at least, oh, rage actually has a place in my life when dealt with appropriately and understood where it's coming from. But like I had completely cut off from my ability to feel any kind of anger or frustration because I needed yeah. to be a nice guy, which Yeah, gotta be nice. Gotta be nice at all costs. At all costs. At all costs. And which was part of my major slide into major depression. So yeah, I mean this is this is real stuff. And I think, Bob, what I'm I'm so happy about not that you've had that experience, but that you're a financial professional that's walked through this journey because I don't know if there's any real research, but it seems to me there's a large percentage of financial professionals out there that don't really yet know that they need to do their own inner work and their own healing work. And that's kind of a population that I'm growing to care about more and more is like, because like you were saying and, and me, when people first said, well, you might have some trauma or like, you need to do some yoga. I'm like, what the, excuse my language, but what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I'm fine. I don't need this stuff. And so getting exposed to the humanities and healing is just, I mean, it's, it's wow. It's terrifying though, too, for a lot of folks. No, it is. And I used to joke uh, when I was in this program, uh, four-year somatic therapy and training, I would say, look, if I had emotions, I would share them. I just, I just don't have them, <laughs> but I'm totally cool with them. You know, they're just not here. <laughs> I just don't have any. I mean, I'm glad I you know. guys got them, but I'm just even keel. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that was another story in your head though, is I'm just even keel. Yeah. You can't, don't react. Don't let them know if you're happy. Don't let them know if you're sad. Don't let them know. Just. Everything's good. Everything's good. I'm with you. I feel like mothers from another brothers from another mother right now. I <laughs> yeah. think is the phrase. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just that. I mean, I there's no clinical diagnosis for this, but I like to say I'm a recovering nice guy. <laughs> there yeah. is no 12 step program for the recovering nice guy. No, and it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure when you're trying to keep. I, yeah, I got that. I got that. Yeah, I'll handle that. Oh, okay. And you're just like everything's everything's boiling. And you're like, nah, it's all good, right? Well, you don't even know it's boiling. You don't That's even know, the, right? In the early stages, I mean, I right. Let's, if we're being honest, right? You're talking about, hey, look, I was in the depths of suicidal ideation at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, not quite the same, but it was that my disconnection. I'm just, I want to point as many places so people can start connecting these dots. I was in my MBA, fresh out of being a firefighter, corporate finance class, and I'd have exams come up. And where do you think I was spending right before the exam? I was in the bathroom, ah. doubled over in abdominal pain. The stress, the fear, the anxiety that I didn't even know I had, right? Because of the emotional cutoff, because the story of I have to be okay, 
there is no problems here to see my body was telling me you're terrified you're freaked out and you're overwhelmed that this isn't going to work out for you right our bodies are so communicative if we'll pay attention and so you you mentioned somatic therapy can you tell us more what about somatic therapy and your experiences with that so for people that don't know somatic is in the body so it's it's body-based therapy uh with this belief that we hold our trauma physically as well as emotionally and so in the program that I was in, we did all kinds of things to get our bodies to vibrate, to get movement, to just get out of our stuck ways um, physically. And so meditation, um, dance, vibration, uh, breathing, all kinds of things that just would help shift the body and help release that energy that we had been holding on to so tightly, right? We we yeah. hold on to things. So like, I am not going to let anybody know how I feel. <laughs> and it just... Like the body it, physically tightens. Like even as you're doing that, I feel my body kind of closing down because it wants to mirror, right? The mirror neurons and saying like, mirror what's going on right now. It's like, no, no, no. Bob's just demonstrating and telling he's not actually in distress right now. But yeah. It's well, it's if you overdraw a checking account, you know, you, uh, you, that that doubling over, you win the lottery, you're like, whoa, and your body opens and expands when something pleasant unexpectedly happens. And so right. just start to notice when you do a home loan fin- refinance and, you know, oh, uh, they're looking at everything and why is your name this and what's this? And they're so judgmental. Um, and we, right. We, we cower in like, I hope I qualify. I hope I'm good enough. Um, uh, and, and we go right, through all these right. different stories. And so the more we can just get in touch how it impacts us physically, just the next time you look at your bank account, do you get excited? Do you sort of look at it and go, oh, um, oh, that's just information. And for some people, it's just another thing to do. Um, but yeah. we have to just really get in touch with, with what is going on for us physically because it is impacting us um, in the way we handle finances and the way we relate with people. Because if we're trying to keep secrets and we're trying to present and we're not going to share everything, um, we're we're just going to stay hidden. And I'd rather show up with my voice shaking and my arms shaking and show up and be seen (laughs) than stay hidden in the corner anymore. Well, and if you can show up that way, especially in the face of someone that's empathic and carrying in a tune and say, wow, Bob, I see this refinancing your home loan really has you pretty stressed out. Right. That mirroring, like, what can we do to help this process be smoother or more comfortable? And and I think you also highlight something that's so important is that self-evaluative piece too. Like, I'm not good enough. They're going to judge me. They're going to criticize me about this. And for those of us that live with degrees of chronic shame and not good enoughness, like, boy, having someone else look at our finances is ripe for triggering that up, isn't it? Oh, it's horrible. And even now, this is what's so funny is this is how ingrained. Even now I can go through a loan. I know I've got more than enough down payment. I know my credit is good. I know it will go through. And I still go through all the physical Mm. anguish. It's just there. Now I can well, laugh about it as I go through it and go, oh. But it's really, for me, it's really ingrained. It's interesting. I was literally just this morning, look, I don't know. I was writing my blog post and I researched the impacts of economic mo- mobility on health or something. I said a little more something, but I came up on this article just published um, 2022 that talked about how the biology doesn't catch up with changes in economic status so right we have this big emphasis culturally around becoming more wealthy more affluent economic mobility all of those things are supposed to be good for us and yet the body keeps the score right and remembers what it feels like to be wherever you started in life and whatever money felt like and so this is you know part of why i was so excited to have you on this podcast is body work is kind of the last frontier for really working with your money beliefs and money reality. And yeah. how do we tend to the dysregulation and distress in our body as we navigate in, even if we intellectually know we're okay now, we have enough money in the bank, we've achieved whatever it is that we need to achieve objectively, but our body can still give us that old fear response, that old 
terror response, that old shame response. Yeah, absolutely. And like for me, if I know this thing is going to make me angry or this thing is going to take me out, I make sure I have people around me or I get somebody else to step in in this part um, so uh, that I don't get triggered. I'm like, hey, this is where I get triggered. Could you do this part for me? And yeah. and so I find ways to take care of myself, even if I haven't completely worked through a couple of my things. Well, I mean, my sense is, Bob, we never fully get through all of our, <laughs> we our don't. shit. I mean, let's just, let's just <laughs> we call don't. it. We don't. We like, don't. I used to think, you know, early, once I accepted that I needed to be on a healing journey, which was a huge hurdle to cross over. Yeah. But then I thought, oh, well, I know if I just do enough of the XYZs, then I'll be okay. Then right. I will have arrived. I will be healthy. But the reality, like the deeper you go into this, the more nuance and subtlety you recognize there is to working with this. Yeah. And yet you also paradoxically become comfortable with the unresolved parts. And yeah. it's okay to not be okay some of the time. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. Yeah, for me, it's just being willing to be vulnerable and say, yeah, that part, I haven't, I haven't worked on that yet. Or I'm a little resistant to that. Um, it's so Ooh. counterintuitive, this vulnerability piece. Um <laughs> What? I'm going to share really horrible things about myself and my, and then I'm going to be drawn closer to you and you're going to come close. What? Um, but yeah, being able to be okay with all that and say, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm yeah. showing up the best I can doing the, you know, doing the work that I can. All right. I, I, I am just wanting to share this and it's, it's funny because, uh, my clients, they listen to the podcast and they're like, well, we learned so much more about you on the podcast. <laughs> like, yeah, because when we're working together, it's not my job to tell you about myself. I'm working right. with you. We're talking about this vulnerability. I'm just having this, like, I want to share this because these are the type of th private things that people don't get to know, but I think are really helpful is Bob, I've developed a practice many mornings where I go and just get in the shower and I, you get it nice and hot and I just stand in there and I put my back against the wall and just feel mm -hmm. my head and I just try to feel the full length of my body yeah, to feel embodied because most mornings I wake up with some degree of anxiety about what I've got to do and what I've got to say and who I'm going to meet and right, I'm reducing that gap on I'm not enough or not acceptable. I mean, it's coming down, but it's, it's still there and right. Um, and so that's one of my body-based practices that I've found so helpful is that the more that I come into the fullness of my body and really the vulnerability of just being naked in the shower, I mean, you don't get too much more exposed than that. I mean, right, right. But that liberation of being naked, standing fully tall and erect and in my body has felt so empowering. And I carry some of that energy into the day. And so I share that in the spirit of maybe, would you share an embodiment practice that you like that helps you feel and stay more fully in your body? Well, one of the things that I like to do, and I know I'm always in a good mood when this is happening, is I put on a couple of high-paced uh, songs and I dance for for about five, 10 minutes. And I just, like, I just dance. Yeah. I used to hate dancing. I used to be worried about what people thought. I dance and in my little workout gym space, I have a mirror. So I watch myself dance and I just play and i don't judge um we're so i think so many of us are afraid to be free when i was doing this one program they were encouraging us to be so free and towards the end i had talked to somebody about like what being naked that's terrifying right yeah. so i was gonna there was this encouragement that i was gonna go up to the meadow where it's pretty private and yeah. just dance naked for <laughs> 10 minutes in this field so i it was a 10-day uh, workshop and yeah. 
towards the end, I did it, you know, and then a couple of people are running and I'm, uh, you know, running in early in the morning <laughs> yeah. at five o'clock in the morning. I got to go run, hide behind a tree. And right. then I told somebody, I did it. I went and danced naked in the meadow. And they said, yeah. you know, all the locals have seen that so many times. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're doing that. They're doing that program. <laughs> another dancing naked person. <laughs> Trying to work out their shit up there dancing around naked. But it's empowering and it was liberating. Yeah. And it was huge the first time. It was terrifying. I lived. You lived. You're here. We're we're sharing our <laughs> naked stories on the Healthy Love and Money podcast. Exactly. And you know, this it, you know, I try to be thoughtful in this work to respect the privacy of my family. Yeah. And at the same time recognizing as I think about my young developing children and so unencumbered by the world and you know, as a family, we try not to be body shaming and we try to let them have the freedom to be in their body and to be expressive. And whether it's after a shower and they run down the hall naked or if they're, you know, they hear some music and they're just dancing in a completely uncoordinated, nonsensical way to us. But that freedom to just be expressive is so powerful. And now how does that link back into then working through the financial problems that we need to solve? When we really connect it with our full expressive creative self, how does that link back to working through the money money challenges or issues we need to work through? Well, for me, I think what happens is when we're able to freely express, then we're able to make mistakes. We're able to ask questions. We're able to walk it back. We're not locked into performance, presentation, no mistakes. And so I think that folks that get that ability or have that safe space as a kid to have the freedom to question, to play, to be silly, it it lets them be a little bit more playful with their money, a little bit more inquisitive, a little bit more, oh, I changed my mind or, oh, that didn't feel good versus you should, you should, you should, you gotta, you gotta, you need to, you need to. Um, it just, I think it gives them a lot more ability to be authentic. Yeah. And not have to worry about presenting. Which is the trap that most of us are stuck in around our finances, right? Is the performative, presentative trap. And it, it was just so funny. It was so quick, Bob, but when you said playful, my brain said irresponsible. <laughs> right. right. And I was like, Right. Wait, where did that where did that come? Oh, that's from inside of me. You said you could be playful with your money and my brain went irresponsible. Yeah. And we go there quickly. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. <laughs> I think we talked about this um before, but like I encourage my my clients and the people I work with to go in and talk to their money in a playful way. Like log onto the bank account and go, Hey money, you look sexy today. <laughs> like, hey, have your friends like go out and like you know. <laughs> Do it and make some more money. Like, make yeah. some bucks, right? Yeah. Play with it instead of like, oh my God, what are we going to, oh, there's not enough, right? Just right. have a little fun. Wow. I like that. That's a really practical exercise. So after we get off of this podcast, I'm going to try to log into my, my bank account and we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have a playful conversation. Have a playful conversation. Like just get silly and ridiculous. It's and it's fun because then you're we right. don't, money doesn't have to be horrifically painful and no fun. Yeah. Even being responsible, you can still have fun. It can still be joyous. You know, and I think that's right how all these words get melt mished up in our head. That responsibility is equated with drudgery. Yeah. Instead of freedom and play. And so it sounds like in some ways, maybe if we're doing these exercises like we, we allow new connections in our brain around words and meanings and what's going on. So just logging in and being playful with the money. It, it reminds me, um, the marriage researcher, uh, John Gottman, has a very famous couples activity. And he, and I may mess this up a little bit, but that's okay because we're talking about being <laughs> playful. Right. But the, the idea of the exercise is to be completely ridiculous and silly with your partner, right? So in couples therapy, it's so serious. We're trying to solve these big problems. It's like, right. So a big thing that's often absent or missing in couples in distress is the ability to be playful and silly. Now you got to do this at the right time. Otherwise it right. really like, you know, what happened in our brain, the different regions of our brain that activate when we get playful are different than the ones we're in distress. At least as I understand the neuroscience. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Mm. 
Well, it's interesting when couples come into a tax appointment, often one will say, all right, we have dinner writing on this. Who's right? Because whoever's right. And I'll say, okay, wait, are we in this marriage to be right? Or are we in this marriage to be uh, on the same team? And they'll look at me like, what? No, I want to win. Do you? <laughs> right? And it's shocking. And in workshops, I'll say to people, they're, they're busy doing this. I say, hey, how about you... Uh, you do this together, like not take turns, like being the champion. How about you guys just fight this battle together? What? Right. And we get so caught oh. up in, oh, it's got to be like this. And then it's got to, I've got to be the prince. And then she's got or like, or whatever it is. Right. Um, right. And, and so being able to, to go, oh yeah, yeah. We're just, we're, we're just in this together. We're not like, I'm not playing a role. Nobody else is playing a role. Like, you know, unless we're going to role play and we name it, <laughs> right, let's get right. out of the roles. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of sorry. My brain went a little, you know, erotic there, but it's like, you know, <laughs> if you want to do like BDSM with your money, have at it, right? If you want to play the roles, the dominant and the submissive, like yeah. go for it, but like Absolutely. name that. But like most of us in everyday functioning around our money want to be partners of equal. Yeah. And yet we treat our partner like they're the competition. Which is what I like to say is the market mindset determining the intimate relationship mindset, right? Like in a market economy, it's competitive. We're trying, there's zero sum. Everyone's got to get their share, right? But that's not really abundance. And in our intimate relationships, like this is not the Super Bowl, folks. No, it's not. And you know, it's interesting. So I just got this, I read this interesting statistic that said people that have joint bank accounts stay in relationships longer. And so I thought, oh, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. And then I was talking to this woman who advocates for women and deals with um, divorce and all that stuff. And I uh, said, yeah. hey, I just heard this new statistic. She said, yeah, I'm sure that's true. But a lot of women stay in abusive relationships because they don't control the money. I was like, oh, a new perspective, right? So there's, right. It's, there's no right or wrong. It's just there's just different layers. And so, yeah, that one sounded good. And that it probably is true. Was this nuance factored in? Because for some, they may stay together because of a negative situation, not a positive. And so there's, there's no right or wrong. It's just gathering all the information so I can make the best decision for myself. Let's talk about that joint money management and, and joint tax filing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because this is something that I've watched a number of un divorced and separated couples really struggle with around tax benefits, even though just get mired into like, well, I got this tax credit or this, you know, you claim the child and I should have claimed the child or you got the house deduction and I, and round and round and it goes. And, you know, so much of this is that vulnerability and trust of having a merged and shared financial life. And then when you're trying to separate it. And so, you know, this issue of mutual trust, around finances is so big and there's yeah. so many people that have experienced or themselves or watched a family member be exploited financially. And so of course they're guarded. Of course they're asking like, well, why can't I have my own separate accounts? And that's where you've got to really dig deep as a couple to work through the trust and mistrust around money. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, myself personally, I encourage clients to at least have their own fun accounts, right? So everything can be in the joint account and then they each have a hundred bucks, 500 bucks, whatever it is, that's their money. They don't have to justify to the other. Uh, you want to go get a massage. You want to go get a milkshake, whatever floats your boat. That's yep. your money. But again, having these conversations and one of the biggest things I find with my clients and especially in workshops, when I'm working on money and emotions with people, there's an assumption that a conversation around money with a spouse means we have to fight um, somebody has to be wrong. And um, how am I going to win and etch out my little piece? Yeah. And the more we can normalize these conversations, know that some of these conversations are difficult. So learn to say, ring the bell or hold up the stuffed animal and take a pause. Right. And then come back to the conversation when the charge is a lot less. Absolutely. I mean, this is where I've been camped out for a little while is money is best done when we're seeking to create mutual pleasure, much like sexual yes. intimacy, right? Yeah. I mean, masturbating is wonderful, but having intimate intercourse is even better in my opinion. Right. 
Right. And so this is not to shame or judge doing things individually in your own sexuality or your own financiality. But when you're in an intimate partnership, mutual pleasure, mutual timing, pacing, understanding, acceptance, exploration are all critical to fostering intimacy. And you're highlighting, right, that where people are starting is adversarial. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be problematic. And not completely unfounded. Right. It right. doesn't take long to ask, like, well, how long has it been like this? How many people in your family did you see deal with money this way? Well, everybody. How many of us grew up in a family where we saw loving gays between mom and dad as they sat down to look at the budget? <laughs> where mom and dad looked each other in the eyes with love in their eyes and said, man, I'm so glad we have this money together. And, you know, we got this money for the bills and this money for fun. And I'm going to enjoy a little bit for myself. And, you know, you're going to enjoy a little bit for yourself. And this just feels so good. I'm sure people are gagging right now hearing right. this. Like, give me an effing break, Ed. That's not reality. That's not. But what if it could be? What if we could get closer and closer to that? Absolutely. And th the great thing about that, and I love that, and I do, I do see people that are expressing that gratitude. And even with lack of money or not enough, they're saying to each other, I'd rather have not enough with you. <laughs> like, uh, because I know right. we'll get through it, right? I've yes. got a team member. I've got a partner. You know, I know for me, um, I didn't have a safety net. Mm -hmm. So my parents made it clear I was going to have to succeed and do it for everybody else. I didn't have a safety net. That put a lot of pressure on me. And so even now I can look around and say, okay, that's good. That's good. Th There's still a little part of me that's like, you need a bigger safety net. How big does the safety net have to be? And then I can talk myself out of it, but it's something right. that I go to. And when you've got a partner, when you've got tools around you, it's a lot easier to mitigate your, your, your negative impulses. Yes. And I hope this makes sense, this connection here. But when you have that kind of story in your mind, what does that do to the intimate partner? How does the intimate partner experience that when that's your story? And, and I'm curious what your perspective is on that. Uh, well, I imagine it's a little traumatizing on their end. If you're like, oh, uh, uh, they're going to mirror that energy. They're going right. to get anxious. They're going to be like, what? Right. Oh my God, we don't have a safety net. Oh my God, I thought we had one, right? We're going right. to, our negativity is going to convince them that they should go with my negativity in, instead of the positive energy they might've been putting out if, if that energy is really strong. Um, and even if they're trying to overcome uh, my emotional um, negativity, I may be pushing it out there so strong and making every, I might be bullying everybody into believing what I'm believing, right. even if it's based on a story and not truth. Based on a story, not truth. Yeah. Can you unpack what that means just a little bit more? So I think, you know, sort of the phrase that I've been talking about the last year or two is like every story has a cost. We all have a story. I've made up a story. My parents were this. I came from this um, economic background. Um, right. I have this much capacity. Um, I'll be able to succeed only this much or this little. And so yeah. I have these stories, but I think they're true. Um, maybe my parents told me I was terrible with math at five and I, I agree with them. Okay. I'm going to take that on. I never update I never update that software when I was three, four, five, and six, possibly being shamed, most likely in my family yeah, being yes, shamed, shame, right? Uh, right? And, and so I took all that on and I never stopped to say, wait a minute, you've done some pretty cool things. You showed up in some pretty amazing ways. You've had some impact in ways that you didn't even realize. If I don't update that, and again, that's scary to take on and say, wait a minute, I actually have done some amazing things. I actually like myself. How dare you? Um, <laughs> I, I want to yeah. have impact. I'm having yeah. impact. How? That's so narcissistic. Okay. Like, <laughs> oh right? my gosh. Keeps it's, preaching. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, look, I'm going to show up and show my light. How dare you light up? But go light up the world. So, right, we have all this stuff going on. And so, the more we can get in touch with, oh, that's just a story that served me well, but it's not serving me anymore. Right. Oh, this is the truth. And we start to actually separate story from truth. Yeah. And we can just show up in such a much better way and realize, oh, I'm not a victim to my story because a lot of us these days love a great yeah. victim story. Oh, and yeah. 
and oh, I'm so, it's a really good story. I get a lot of attention. Um, people feel really sad for me. They pity me. Um, I sort of like my victim story or, oh, look how I'm never going to succeed. Can you guys all hug me and tell me I'm special, right? No, let's get self-empowered and get rid of the stories that don't serve us and get really connected with, is that true for me? So I ask myself a lot of times when I'm in a, yeah. in a pattern, is it truth or is it story? And if it's story, how is it serving me and how is it taking me out? Say that again. Is it story? And if it's story, how is it serving me and how is it taking me out? I'm noticing like I'm flooded a little bit. And so I'm having a hard time holding what you're saying, but I know there's so much significance. And I think... Uh, you know, where I'm, I kind of got stuck, Bob, is in my own journey, right? I never saw myself as a victim. Right. And then for a period of time, I did deeply identify as a victim. Like as the, the mirror was held up and said, like, you need to understand what painful things happened in your life. And as we are confronted with that and come to terms with like, oh, painful things did happen in my life. Victimhood is where we end up. Right. And. And there is a, a certain truth in the reality that you have experienced things in your life that evoke that feeling of victimhood. But it's this, it's that next leg of the journey of how do I go into, in the word they use, self-empowered instead of allowing your whole identity to become, I'm a victim and powerless. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about that arc, at least as I laid it out. Yeah. So for me, and I'll speak for myself when yeah, I've yeah. stayed, when I've stayed in victim mode, right? when I'm a victim and I get to blame other people because it's not my fault. I'm a victim. If I can blame you, I, I, I get to avoid feeling stuff. I get to avoid my grief. I get to yeah. avoid my rage. I get to avoid my disappointment. And so if I can be like, oh, I'm just a victim, I don't have to feel all that. If I'm going to self-empower myself, if I'm going to actually show up fully, I got to feel my grief. I got to feel my rage. I got to feel my disappointment. I, I, I have yeah. to be willing to look and say, yeah, that one's not going to happen. And I'm going to have to be okay with that. Um, and feel the sadness and all those things. Because once we can feel all of those things fully, I think then it allows us to actually know you know, as they say, know thyself, right? Know who I am and say, I'm okay with all the warts and the flaws. Yeah, right. I'm still going to show up and I'm still going to love. I'm still going to be in connection with people and I'm still going to, I'm going to show up in a way that uh, feels good. So, right. It's kind of like, I almost imagine this image of like underneath that victim story, if you'll open it up, if you will, it's, that's where the grief, the rage, the anger, the sadness the difficult emotions experiences are there. And if we can feel through them, literally feel through them and express them in productive ways, journaling comes to mind, um, dancing naked in the field, <laughs> being in the shower or yeah. having an, a therapist or an uh, empathically attuned uh, community that will get into that nuance with you metabolizes is the word that's coming to my mind. So then yeah. it's like, then that's the empowerment is like, Oh, my rage doesn't destroy me. Oh, that feeling of shame doesn't destroy me. That's just a feeling that, you know, anxiety it just doesn't destroy me. It's, oh, that's a response. It's signaling something. Okay. And we get to move forward from there. Absolutely. And here's the great thing. Like with rage, I have a punching bag. I've had it for years, uh, different ones, but yeah. <laughs> um, I love to punch them. And I would make them certain people. I would just punch, punch, punch until I was laughing. Right. So yeah, I could have my rage right. and then find the pleasure in it and then not make myself bad for having the rage. And uh, right. it's, there's something about being able to just, just punch it out or just move that energy through our bodies. Right. And not make it a negative or a positive. Oh, that's just rage going through. Oh, that's just grief going through. Oh, that's just sexuality going through. Oh, life force. Right. Yeah, All those things. Right. Not good or bad. They're just, yeah. they're just, Emotions. Well, and that's right. I think that's part of that growth edge is we learn to differentiate things as good or bad in our childhood, right? Developing, like, this is good, this is bad. And we didn't start assigning that to everything. But it feels like a later stage of moral development or growth is almost pulling back the morality of things being good or bad and just looking at them 
as they are, especially yeah. human emotions. Like we have this whole complex system of emotions for a reason. We have rage for a reason. If we're under extreme threat, rage is a mobilizing emotional state to protect sure. oneself. Yeah. And often when we are a victim or something is perpetrated against us, we the ability to respond with protective rage was not available. And so that's the recovery side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you go into this work, I know for me, it was, um, oh, isn't that interesting? Like, be curious, be a curious kid. Like those kids that yeah. are just being in the moment. Wow, that's so interesting. I get really angry when this happens. Wow, I find lots of joy when this happens. Wow, that's so interesting. I love to overdraw my bank account. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I overspent <laughs> on my credit cards. Wow, that. and let's not yeah. make it judgmental. Let's just... Let's, we're, we're playing detective here. So just find everything. Oh, that's curious. Really yeah. curious about that. Gives us a lot of freedom. Lots of freedom. And so how can people be curious about you and connect with your work further, Bob, as we wrap up this interview? Well, they can find me at The Money Nerve. That's Nerve, N-E-R-V-E. Um, I'm a money nerd, but it's The Money <laughs> Nerve. That's yeah. got information on my uh, tax practice, got information on my workshops, speaking engagements, got an online course, our podcast, Money You Should Ask, where we love talking with people about money and emotions. Yeah. And all of that stuff is there in my books. Feel free to reach out. We do we do connect with people and I people reach out and we reach back. So feel free to check out The Money Nerve. The Money Nerve. That's incredible, Bob. I'm, I'm so thrilled for the work that you're doing in the world, and I'm sure the people that engage with you end up in such a better place. Thank you for your generosity and time today. Well, it's been my pleasure, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing as well, so thank you. I invite you now to stop for five or ten minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.